And what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't, I'm not going to define it from here. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. We've got an action-packed banger for you today. Absolutely. I mean, this thing is... I'm looking at this document. Boy, oh boy. I mean, it's going to be pure fire. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as folks have noted online, I've been just, like, raging out over this situation of where journalists in the White House are trying to be like, actually, a recession is not two consecutive quarters. Well, and you were aided and abetted in that endeavor by a bottle of bourbon on Tuesday. Yes, yes. <laughs> Should be told there's a well or 12-year involved. But <laughs> back to the subject at hand. <laughs> when you have a White House that can't define a recession, a Supreme Court justice that can't define a woman, are we in any wonder of why things are going sideways? Like, there, it's, it's also very expressed the purpose of the left to make every word lose all meaning right totally. because if nothing means anything of course you can take control yeah you can do things like open the border wide open and say there's not an immigration problem but the egregiousness of this whole recession definition which has been like written in stone from time immemorial yeah the fact that they have now and then a hilarious game online has been going back like you know these real clown journalists oh, I like saw harwood you. yeah i saw you go you back and that. you find their old tweets of where they're like a recession is defined as Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And it's like, really? Huh. I wonder what changed. Maybe it's because Joe Biden's a terrible president and you're carrying water for him. Which, it's, by the way, he was banging out in the middle of, a, of the COVID epidemic, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like, right. even that was not, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, yeah. uh, these aren't unprecedented times. These are, this is a definition that's <laughs> yeah. hard and fast. We have yep. to stick to the definition. That's right. <laughs> we don't make the rules. It's just clownery at its yeah. very highest. Um, we're going to get into that along with a lot else. Our special guest today. Senator John Thune of the great state of South Dakota. He uh, is a Republican whip in the Senate. A lot of great stuff from him. You'll get to know him uh, a bit better than you than you probably already know, although you probably already know a lot about him. Uh, but we also have, and this is where this gets really spicy, late breaking news that we added to the program. Senator Chuck Grassley joins us today to give us an update on a letter that he sent to FBI Director Ray and DOJ, mm-hmm. uh, Merrick Garland, about Hunter Biden. Yeah, Grassley, God bless him. He is actually taking up the fight that this administration is trying to cover up. Good for him. Totally. I mean, he is he is wailing away. It's great stuff. I, I can't wait to get into all of that. Um, first thing we ought to do is give a shout out to Glenn Youngkin. Did you guys see this? Yes, I did. Go- awesome guy. Governor Grant, uh, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, a friend of the program. We we're very early on board with him and his campaign. Um, he has donated his entire salary to veterans. What a thoughtful move, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't see Democrats doing a lot of that. No, they're more interested in taking money from Americans during this time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is his quote. We're delivering on our promise to make Virginia the best place for veterans, he said, adding that while he may be able to afford skipping his state salary, many Virginians have told him they feel robbed by inflation under President Biden's tenure. Damn. So he's got like the full hook and and yeah. dagger yeah. Yes, on he that does. Yeah. Yes, he does. Good for him. I love it. I love it. So listen, before we get into the economy, which we want to talk about a lot, um, let's top it with this Grassley interview, which is very topical. 
I want to welcome to the program, uh, listen, a guy that we've got, we hold in the highest esteem. Um, he's sort of the, the godfather of oversight and absolutely irreplaceable senator. Senator Grassley of Iowa, how are you, sir? I'm very good, and I thank you, Josh, for having me. And it's great to back be back with the fellas on the program. <laughs> well, actually, it's great to have you. It, the reason we wanted to talk to you so urgently this week is because you have some some breaking news. And you sent a letter this week, the F- FBI Director Ray and Attorney General Garland regarding information and how they processed Hunter Biden information. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's, it also attacks a problem that's a little, quite a little bit bigger than even Hunter Biden. So let me separate what started August 2019 when I, start, when I started investigating Hunter Biden and, and, uh, and still doing that. But we've also unleashed a lot of things that we have bank documents that prove that what was in the laptop is, in fact, uh, 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 the laptop is not Russian disinformation. Now, I don't have to prove that to anybody today, but it took us two years to prove that. So now, getting back to your question, what we did is we sent letters to the FBI based upon information that we have gotten from very credible whistleblowers, and that's a plural word uh, because we've got multiple sources of this information, hmm. That, that show that, uh, and I'll give you two examples, that show that, that people making decisions who, whether investigations should be open or whether they should be closed are uh, have uh, politics mixed up with it. Ugh. And of course the FBI ought to be above politics. Uh, people ought to have credibility with the politic, uh, with the uh, FBI. Uh, and uh, and public confidence is very important. So what I'm saying is detracts from public confidence because we have this guy named Tebow uh, who, uh, who uh, in the case of opening up a case against Trump uh, said basically uh, it was based upon fuzzy newspaper reports from liberal, liberal pre- uh, reporting uh, that this investigation should go ahead. Then he had all sorts of concrete information that Hunter Biden had done wrong and that they were starting an investigation and he put a stop to that investigation. Wow. So we want, we want to know what concrete uh, steps uh, the FBI director Ray's going to take to make sure this stuff stops. Now I do want to give compliment Ray that when I first pointed out to him uh, that uh, Tebow was involved in this sort of stuff, uh, particularly when we got notification that Tebow had been using social media for very partisan attacks on certain people, and I pointed that out to Ray, Ray moved him out of this decision-making process. Uh, So I hope that Ray will follow up just as strongly with these accusations that I'm giving to them right now. Yeah. But this is, this is a part of the culture, part of the culture of the 
FBI and maybe even the Justice Department. Well, that's what's so concerning about this, because as you mentioned off the top, I don't think we ever would have gotten to the bottom of whether or not we're dealing with Russian disinformation or Hunter's laptop being authentic without the work you'd done previously in previous years to actually uncover the fact that there was a long paper trail, financial and otherwise, that validated the contents of the laptop and and essentially that it was in fact his laptop because at the time everyone said that it was Russian disinformation and you know 15 20 former intel agencies all all said that and and it turns out that was all nonsense but now i think what you're dealing with as you said is something much more significant in that in that it's a culture within the department of justice within the fbi that essentially investigates, or, or I think what you're saying is, begins investigations based what looks to be on partisan issues, right? And stops investigations based on partisan issues. So, so the way that they handled, and you you have whistleblowers that uh, have talked to you apparently about this, but the way that they handled the information about Hunter Biden's laptop was to just downplay it and not open an investigation about the relevant pieces of it? Absolutely. And as I'm saying, this comes from credible whistleblowers, not just one whistleblower. I mean, that is that is a why. I can't think of anything more dangerous in this country than those who are entrusted with investigating crimes, uh, prosecuting them entirely on a partisan basis i think we'll soon have fbi director ray before the judiciary committee and we're going to pursue this line of of questioning with him and we expect him to say flat out that he's going to do certain things to make sure this doesn't happen again he's got to do he's got to take these concrete steps to reestablish the credibility of the fbi does it, does it bother you at all to know that, you know, Ray, in this case, but it's gone, you know, much further afield within the Department of Justice itself, that you're consistently having to point these things out? And, you know, as you said, he took action with this particular agent that you, that you had in mind, but like none of that ever would have come up. Do they have no process at all to ensure the integrity of their own investigations? Uh uh, of course, that scares me, and it's, and of course, uh, uh, people that work for the FBI, uh, the prestige that the FBI used to have and ought to reestablish once again, that people work for it wouldn't be so proud of who they're working for that they would let this stuff interfere with the work of the FBI or, you- the, or the public's uh, confidence in the FBI. You've been doing this a long time. Have you ever seen this situation present itself with the FBI or the Department of Justice? It seems like in recent years, just in the last four years or so, it's gone from an institution that has had you know a lot of public credibility to multiple incidences over a period of time of either partisan prosecutions, partisan investigations, or just this sort of veneer of, of, of partisanship one way or another over everything they do. And they should be uh, very aware of how J. Edgar Hoover, with investigating people that work for Johnson and following Martin Luther King around and all that, how that 
uh, destroyed the credibility of the FBI in the 1950s and 60s. And then I think it was reestablished. But now this detracts from the people that worked to overcome J. Edgar Hoover's faults. Do you find that any of your Democratic colleagues who are now in the majority, uh, do they share any of your concerns or they just sort of dismiss all this? I wouldn't want to say that they dismiss it, but they don't ever back me up on it. They don't ever compliment me for it, even quietly. (laughs) You know, I don't expect them to say a lot of things publicly because this is their administration. But I think that that with what I've established as a reputation over 40 years of oversight work in the United States Senate, uh, that I would have credibility and that they would uh, at least uh, not pull some of the stunts that they did in 19 and 20 uh, to discredit everything that I was doing. And it took another year or so before even the New York Times and the Washington Post had to admit that I wasn't spreading uh, 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 Russian disinformation. I mean, it's Uh, just, it's wild, right? I mean, I'm trying to picture a a scenario in my head where the roles are reversed and there's a Republican administration that is essentially opening investigations into political opponents and closing them into their own uh, out in the open. I mean, it would be the front page of every newspaper. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing. I think my reputation goes to equal application of oversight work, whether you have a Republican president or Democrat president. No question. I mean, this started with me with finding a a lot of investigations in the Defense Department, even during a Reagan administration. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. What is so impressive about your body of work on oversight, both in the government uh, and and, in terms of, of private enterprise out there, is that it is, it's about a fact-finding mission. And over year, over the years, you can look, there are no partisanship uh, attributions that you can make to your work. It basically is where the facts fall, which is why I asked the question about whether or not you have any Democratic partners in this stuff, because it seems to me when your Democratic colleagues have brought things to your attention that m- warrant investigations, you're the first one through the door. Uh, absolutely, and when we have a Republican president... I have their support. Uh, I think the best way to say this is that I use Iowa common sense as I approach uh, uh, the uh, whole business of congressional uh, oversight. It's a constitutional responsibility. And I don't care whether we have a Republican president or Democrat president. My goal is to follow the facts where they lead you, follow the money where it leads you. And just what, uh, what, just think what we did in the case of Hunter Biden. We followed the money where it led us. So where do you think, so you mentioned that the next step in this is probably having Ray before the committee where you have to ask these these questions clearly. Um, where do you anticipate this goes from here? <clears throat> well, uh, I hope that um, my, my reputation and some of the things that uh, FBI director already did in reassigning Tebow uh, knows that they have a problem and that they will cooperate with me and uh, do even a lot of things that that need to be done that maybe I wouldn't even know about yet. Uh, and uh, But uh, we're going to continue until we get the answers of it. And I would hope that, uh, that uh, it, it continues uh, well into next year. And if I'm reelected, it's going to continue into next year. 
uh, and the American people uh, will want heads to to roll if uh, if if you really going to make a part, if you're going to make a point yeah. in this whole operation. Heads after roll. Well, that's a hundred percent right. God made a grassley for all the right reasons, and we got to have you right exactly where you are for the foreseeable future to get any kind of accountability for any of this. I know you're running for re-election. We got to do everything in our uh, part, both in, in all the listeners, the minions, and and us as a show to make sure that you can keep doing your work, Senator Grassley. Where can our listeners uh, keep up with you and make sure that uh, we're doing everything we can do to help you? There's two points I'll make for you. One at Grassley Works and the other one grassleyworks.com. And I hope they go there frequently. And uh, I don't know whether we ask on those sites specific things to do, uh, but they can help us. But most importantly, spread the word, particularly people that use social media. And that's usually people that are under 35 years of age. They ought to use their social media uh, to spread the good work that Senator Grassley is doing, uh, making uh, government transparent, because when government's transparent, you have accountability, and that's what our democracy is all about, accountability. Well, we're uh, going to do our very best to provide you with that megaphone, Senator, because we can't uh, thank you enough for all the good work that you're doing. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks so much for sharing all this information. And God bless you, and thank you for helping me. So you got to love Chuck Grassley. Of course. I mean, he's, he, as I've always said, he's one of my favorites. He's been putting in the work day in, day out. And like we always talk about, it's more important to like uh, actually make a difference than make a point. And he's just laser focused on holding this administration accountable. He, he's the sort of guy who knows how to like, you know, he's like a dog on a bone. He knows how to yep. keep, keep to a fight. If you've ever looked at his Twitter account, um, the man's been on a tear for years against the History Channel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, for not showing real history. As, I mean, as they should be held accountable. In, in particular, ancient aliens. He's very angry about ancient aliens and these shows that aren't real history that appear on the History Channel. Uh, you know, so when he gets something in his mind that he wants to tackle, uh, I feel pretty confident he's going to deliver. But this one, as we talked about in the interview, this one is particularly egregious because yeah. I think if the American people genuinely believe that the justice system in this country is rigged for the partisan benefit of a few, which it appears to be here it, in a lot of different ways, that is the most dangerous thing as a country that I can think of. I mean, that that that, that is the kind of thing that separates you from a banana republic. And I'm telling you, something that we have seen time and time again over the past decade is how clearly the FBI, the you know, the deep state has become a partisan tool of the fact that, like, you know, Grassley sends this letter with evidence of there is a very dedicated group within like the FBI and, 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 and this administration and, and the security apparatus dedicated to helping Dems, whether it's covering this up, whether it's uh, like the whole Russia fake BS, yep. like all this that we've been dealing with for like a decade now. And we wouldn't have gotten to the bottom of any of that without Grassley, by the way. That's 100% true. It's totally true. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that some of your finest work, Mr. Ashbrook, was the God Made a Grassley theme that we had when we, in our initial Oh, yeah, I love it so much. Why don't we play that right now? And on the eighth day, God looked down on the United States Senate and said, I need a legislator. So God made a Grassley. God said, I need a senator willing to wake up before dawn, own libs, cook ribs, work all day, own more libs, 
then go back to Iowa to visit all 99 counties. So God made a Grassley. I need somebody who ignores every Democrat plea for we need nine, only to turn around and use it against them when they try to pack the court. Somebody who cuts taxes, funds, vaxes, plows a field, and does a thousand push-ups before noon. So God made a Grassley. Oh, it's just music. Pretty good. Always. It was good. it was well written too. <laughs> just music. <laughs> well written. Uh, all right, let's get into the economy. Um, listen, I, I don't think it's a, a any sort of question that Democrats would rather talk about anything, anything, literally anything else than the economy, because this is the source of their greatest failure as as a governing majority here in the United States. Um, and it starts with Biden insisting, as we did on top, that there is no recession as he confronts the latest economic risk, according to the New York Times. Um, it, let me read a couple of excerpts just to set the table here. Officials have tried to ditch a shorthand definition of what oh, constitutes yeah. a recession. Definition. Shorthand definition. <laughs> they even give them that. How can you even give them the shorthand? <laughs> well, you know, it's a shorthand definition. It's a sh- uh, shorthand. It's a- um, what constitutes a recession and reassure skeptical voters about the U.S. economy. President Biden was asked about the latest economic head, uh, headache. How worried should Americans be that the country might be in a recession? He replied, we're not going to be in a recession. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's said with the confidence of a man who knows that the media will carry the water for him, no oh, matter yeah. how oh, yeah. full his head is of brainworms and how checked out he is. It's, that's the thing. is He has a confidence of knowing the media is going to do everything they can to lie and trick the American people into not believing. Don't believe your lying eyes. Come but, on, folks. I mean, I appreciate it, frankly, that he's that direct about it. Just because brazen. I, I, well, you know, I have a feeling it's going to appear in probably 100 million ads this fall. <laughs> and, and, and as of as of recording, but like as of when you're listening to this on Thursday, two days ago, the Wikipedia entry for recession was edited. You got to be kidding! Get me. Out Are of you here. serious? Dead serious. In real time, they're trying to change the definition. As of today, Merriam-Webster still defines a recession as two consecutive quarters of a negative GDP. But we'll see how long that lasts. You, you know who else used to define it that way? None other than a guy named Brian Deese. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody right. listening to the show is familiar oh, with him, but national his, economic advisor. Yeah, economic advisor for yeah. for the White House. Oh, interesting. Turns out that when he was campaigning for Hillary Clinton in two thousand and eight. This is what he said. Economists have a technical definition of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Oh, it's technical? I thought it was shorthand. Oh, no. See, it's, it's until you're in the boat causing the recession. <laughs> then it's not technical. <laughs> I also like these little parsing of words. This is not a big deal. But one of the things in the New York Times is in the latest chapter in a challenge that Mr. Biden has faced since taking office, trying largely unsuccessfully to persuade Americans that the economic recovery is stronger than people. Re- so if the economic recovery, motherfucker, we were recovered. We were, we were growing. Yeah. Like at the end of the Trump administration, all of the setbacks were, were during COVID were beginning to turn out of it. Right. And we were growing. We, were we had growing. three vaccines. Yeah, but we were growing as right. an economy and, and like adding jobs at record clips. And now 
this is like, oh, no, no, it's the recovery that he's presiding. <laughs> no, he's presiding over a goddamn crash is they're, what he's presiding over. They're softening the ground over the idea that, you know, if we slip into a recession, it's actually all of our fault. We have failed Joe Biden. Yes. Again. It's our perception of the economy is the thing that created the recession. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And poor Joe Biden can't change our, our view of things because we just have failed him. Michael, I really wish we could do better. <laughs> Don't you? Sometimes I sit up at night and I think about that. Like Kamala, Joe, and the crowd. Yeah. They're just failing them left and right. Yeah. And, and there was an announcement yesterday that Vox Media is laying off journalists. And I just thought, I really hope they can finish their think pieces about how it's not a know, this is not a recession <laughs> right before they pack their shit and are shown the door. <laughs> well, when because they, that's the other shoe that's going to drop is like you're already seeing every asset class across the board, whether it's stocks, bonds, every, everything has taken a hit. Every every uh, the housing market is starting to take yes. a hit. It's cooling off. Uh, we've had the lowest number of bids put on a house in over two years. The, the, the data is getting uglier. But the next year to drop is going to be hiring because if these companies are like people are slowing their spending, why should we be trying to ramp up production and products when they're going to sit on a shelf? Target is the perfect example of a company who's dealing with a lot more inventory than they can sell. So what are they going to do to save costs? Well, they're going to start cutting jobs. And yeah. so when that happens, I wonder what's the next excuse the, the the journals are going to tell us of like, well, listen, folks, you may be getting laid off, but it's not a recession. Everything's just fine. Well, we'll look to Brian Deese, and I'm sure some of these some <laughs> the of these box guidance. stories they will quote him. And thanks thanks to the RNC Research Department for pulling up pulling that up. Those guys are really really good. Well, so here's the problem with what these guys are trying to accomplish is that this is uniquely hitting Americans exactly where they live, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a, a story in Yahoo Finance today. Difficulty paying bills tops pandemic high in U.S. Census survey. So listen to this. The share of Americans who report having difficulty paying their bills has surpassed the 2020 pandemic peak in U.S. Census Bureau survey. And remember, I think that's important for a couple of reasons. The first is an awful lot of that um, sort of feeling as an American consumer was driven by the hysteria of COVID, mm-hmm. right? It didn't necessarily have anything to do with their pocketbooks at the time. It had everything to do with the uncertainty yep. of whether or not they would ever have a job back again as we're all locked in our homes, right? Yeah. So think about that situation. Like, remember where you were in April of 2020 and take that anxiety, push it forward two years post-pandemic, and that is sur- we're now surpassing that? Like, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it, it when, when this is what it is in a nutshell, Americans are having difficulty paying bills. Right. And so when we're headed into an election, only, you know, we're only months away now, folks. Like, it's time we're going to hold this administration accountable. And Americans are going to vote based on the hardships that they not only see, not some like idea that's put on in front of them on their TVs, like, oh, there's a January 6th committee, democracy is going to be destroyed. <laughs> They're yeah. like, dude, I had to choose what to get at the grocery store because everything is too expensive. The amount that I have to pay for gas is way too expensive for me to like comfortably live, to have to be concerned about if I can afford everything that my family needs. That's what Americans are worried about. I mean, They're not he, worried about the garbage that this administration and, and, and our media is trying to, like, gaslight Americans it, with. It gets even more basic than that here from the Yahoo story. A report last week from the New York State Comptroller showed that one in eight residents are, were behind on paying the utility bills. Ooh. One in eight. One in eight. And it's actually paying, right? It's not the feeling like you might not be able to. Right. Which is why their messaging thing is such an ill-fated adventure. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're messaging up against the reality that everybody's facing. 
It's like if you can't pay any utility bill, right? The fuck difference does it make how the president defines a recession? Right. And right. that's the thing is, right. and it goes you know? back, <laughs> right? Right. It goes back to the problem of, of the left is they think everything is about messaging and not about actual policy. Yes. They're, they they're like how they try to change the meaning of words is is what unites them. They have officially become the party of the like, you know, brainworm left wing white wine mom. You know who, who who worries about? Am I saying any microaggressions rather than the rest of America? Like when you look at Latino voters flocking to the Republican Party, why? It's because there's only one party in this country that's trying to address the concerns of the American people, and it's not the Democrats at this point who are like, "Well, what's the messaging strategy we're going to have on this?" <laughs> I mean, that's it's so funny because every one of the process pieces deals with exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Well, we're having a tough time getting the message out." Yeah. Like, well, we're having a tough time paying our bills, asshole. Exactly. Bingo. That's <laughs> it. I mean? That's it. You cannot message to people who are struggling to pay their utility bill that, well, here's why uh, you're failing Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> I just this, wish we could do better. This, this, is where, this is where easy press really fails Democrats mm-hmm. because they live in a world that is unencumbered by having to explain yourself to media. Media actually tells Democrats what to do so that they can write nice stories about them. If, if Republicans had that, we would have a very different country than we do right now. And I guarantee the White House press office is going around high-fiving each other this week for being able to bend the definition oh, yeah, of yeah. a recession, right. right? They're all like, great work, everybody. Like, And can you imagine but, what scumbags they are? Like, They're like, hey, we're able to trick the media into telling Americans that we're not in a recession. They're not, they don't give a shit that you're Americans actually can't in afford one. their utilities. They right. don't care that Americans are wondering why the light is off, why the heat's been cut. They don't care. They're high-fiving because they're like, ha the journals are out there lying for us. Uh, it's incredible. But, it, but here's the thing. The pain's not going to end anytime soon. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Don't expect big consumer brands to lower prices anytime soon. This is kind of the point you were making about jobs. Mm-hmm. The other the other way to do it beyond cutting jobs is keeping prices high, right? Mm-hmm. So Coca-Cola uh, and Kimberly Clark say price increases help them cover the cost of inflation. They're now watching how consumers respond. The makers of Coca-Cola beverages and Dove shampoo, Huggies, diapers, and Big Macs have been trying to raise their prices um, or the cost increases from everything from wood to wages and everything else. So, I mean, their point is this isn't going anywhere. And there's two ways that they're going about it. Number one is that the price hikes that we're seeing and that they're describing. And number two is they're cutting the product. So, like, if you're buying, like, a bag of chips, for example, and let's say it's typically 12 ounces— Magically, it's 10 ounces now. They're trying to find a way to skirt around dealing with this crisis that's been thrown in their laps. I'm the furthest thing from an economist, but I've been in this game for a long time in terms of Washington and how it deals with economic recession and like some of the key indicators that you're actually concerned about. This stat popped off the page to me in this Wall Street Journal piece because I remember it and got like cold flashbacks feels, feels, feels like 08 to 08 yes, 09 yes so spending on chase credit cards rose 21 percent in the second quarter wow. from a year ago ladies and gentlemen that is a bright blaring red fire engine that's canary in the coal mine is now you have americans who are using credit cards so applications for credit cards hit an all-time high over the past three months all-time high and the fed just hiked rates they are and they're know, gonna three hi- quarters of a point which is gonna have a downstream effect on the interest rates for credit cards yes and, and, the, and the debt you're carrying right the now is being driven by necessity right is crippling over a period of time i mean crippling there are families that basically just dug out from the hole of 08 and 09 
and now here we go again. Here we go again. I mean, it's just, it's really sad. And, you know, I hope, I hope everybody is eyes wide open about what's happening in this economy versus what this administration is telling you. And again, it comes down to the policies of this administration. Every company is having to raise prices. Why? Because, I mean, as libs don't understand, there are trucks which carry goods across this country. Your groceries don't just show up at the door when you order them from Whole Foods. <laughs> right. Turns out farmers had to grow them. They had to be put on a truck to a distribution center, had to be put on a truck to a grocery store. And then a guy in a car had to drive it to you. Right. It doesn't magically appear just because you picked your groceries on your app. So the <laughs> high cost of gas is passed on to the consumer. That's why everything is more expensive. And consumers are unable to keep with uh, keep up with these rising prices on everything. So they're having to turn to credit cards where we're in an inflationary period. And now the Fed is trying to fight that by spiking interest rates, which affect credit cards. You see how this becomes a giant snowball of an economic crisis because all this administration knows to do is put in place policies that hurt working class Americans. And it's been their mission. Like when, still you hear, trying. when you hear Mayor Pete and everyone say, just buy an electric car, it's because they have this like grand vision of this like left wing utopia, right? Of where, oh, you know, we can just, everyone in America can afford a $100,000 electric car. And like Elon just put out a statement the other day. He was like, the prices on my cars are laughable. We're going to have to raise them. Oh, man. It's just so sad. The disconnect is just like you said, the constituency for today's Democratic Party is so out of touch with your average working class American. It's just insane. But it turns out not only are we failing Joe Biden, Democrats are failing Joe Biden, too. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) So a CNN poll released showed that 75% of Democratic voters want someone other than Joe Biden in 2024. Yeah. 75%. That's got to be unprecedented. You know, it's, all, it's so unprecedented that I don't even know how to characterize it because a sitting president com- like absolutely commands the base of their party. And that, that's not unique, Republican or Democrat. Like a sitting president, because of people who are like loyal Democrats or loyal Republicans, th- there's a benefit that comes along with they've worked for this person, they've tried to like, you know, do everything they can to get them elected. For them to turn the page, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that is a performance that I have not seen. And again, it goes, the hilarity of the situation is Biden has been just a checked out rubber stamp for all the left-wing policy, whether it's uh, uh, putting in policy to cripple American energy independence on his first day in office, right? Like AOC, he's basically back toward the Green New Deal is what he's done as president. And then you look at... Uh, how he's 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 doing loan forgiveness for student loans, which all of us are now having to pay for. All his policies have done is hurt people, and Dems are like, "Wow, we got to get rid of this guy. He's done everything we wanted, and now he's pulling really bad." And I bet they're like, "Oh, he's a bad messenger." <laughs> it must be a he's a bad messenger policy. for our policies. So, so, so technically, this does not mean Democrats want somebody else. <laughs> technically, that's. That's not determined. The technical definition. No, it needs to be three polls in a row <laughs> that show that only 25% want Until it's four. Yeah. Right? Then we'll right. keep moving those goalposts. <laughs> it's just an incredible. I mean, you look at even like New Hampshire, right, which plays a, a huge role. I mean, Democrats are all in a flutter talking about how they're going to change their caucuses and primary schedule. Right, right. The one thing that they haven't talked about changing is New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire, Biden's favorability in the state is at an all-time low. Oh, man. 
One-fifth of New Hampshire residents want Biden to run in 2024. Wow. And this poll that came out in New Hampshire showed Mayor Pete beating him. Mm. Maybe he won't even have to use, what was that, dark money app that was, like, rigged? Many people are saying that that, like he won Iowa and New Hampshire because of this like rigged dark money app that Tara McGowan was behind. Many people are saying. (laughs) Parody, parody, we're laughing, we're laughing. No, but it might not be. I mean, we don't know what the, the, I mean, that was part of the problem. I mean, if you recall from the 2020 caucuses. he, he, He lost it all, dude, until South Carolina. Yeah, and I mean, Kamala didn't even make it that far, so that's who they're stuck with. <laughs> <laughs> she just called him a racist and was yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> my job here is done. <laughs> He's like, yes, you will be vice president. That ought to get me on the ticket. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so we've got a fun little topic here that we occasionally toy around with privately. I guess we've done a couple of. of I think everyone has to. Yeah, everybody thinks about this, right? But but we're talking, of course, about mega millions and the jackpot that now is topped one billion dollars. Yeah, right. I guess this week they had a drawing; it was eight hundred and thirty million or something like that for the grand prize, and it didn't hit. Mm-hmm. So now the sucker is going to be up over a billion. Uh, first question: Do you buy a ticket? Um, I think you have to. I, I think you have to. I mean, it's the, a, the positive for thing sport, is sport, right? Whenever people right. buy a ticket, it even like you'll find out like on the day of the drawing that like now it's actually up to like one point one billion because like so many people buy tickets when the jackpot gets this massive. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. Can you get a ticket around here? Yeah, just go to any gas yeah? station. Okay. Seven Eleven. I never know the rules. Like it, some states don't take part in like Mega Millions. Some do and. Yeah, not every state's involved, but every, I mean, I'll DC tell you what, is involved. I will go get a ticket for this one, all right? I mean, my question is, like, I think historically, quick pick, like, when you let the computer decide automatically, mm-hmm. tends to hit more than when people individually pick the numbers. Um, so the, the I see McDaniel put a little note in here. Uh, Smug, is it better to take the cash option or the annuity? Absolutely take the cash. Take always, the cash. Put the money to work for you. Cash. Yes, always take the Unless cash. Unless you're in a Biden economy, which case it'll be 25 percent less by the end well, of the I mean, year that's the thing is like I, I still feel cash is the king when it comes to any asset like i'll take that over the market being down 30 percent. but you got to bury it in the backyard at this point don't you pal well so uh, so what i would do if if i won yeah no I, I i'm that's, genuinely curious that's about a, this. that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's a literally the million dollar billion dollar question here is i i've always had in my head i know the plan so I have a lawyer set up a trust, and then he goes to the press conference and accepts the money on behalf of the trust. Oh, weird! You want anonymity? No one gets that. No one. No one knows. No one knows I've won. I, I change my number instantly. I have a forwarding set to a PO box for my address, and I leave the country like, like a wisp of smoke. I'm instantly gone, and like I don't tell anyone. I, I don't tell anybody. The lawyer's name like, is uncomfortably Snugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wait until like I'm overseas and have like triple canopy or blackwater like an armed crew around me to like let family know that like hey if you want to come to like cameroon they don't extradite cameroon. you're gonna have your mil- your paramilitary yeah. security but reach out to why your family like he goes he goes full colonel kurtz on it yes yeah. that's the well, first why is he worried thing. about extradition he I don't a lot know. Right. <laughs> because joe biden is gonna come for me like are you serious like the first thing he'll do is like merrick garland would show up with a gun and with like a silencer just merrick yeah it would be 100 percent merrick personally would kill me 
me. Peace be on your fa- Your family's <laughs> wondering where you are for a month, and then they get a note from Blackwater that says, <laughs> I, like, there's I think a plane waiting to take you to Cameroon. I think he's, getting, <laughs> he's getting a little conspiratorial because he just, you know, you finished uh, um, the Terminal List. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Which is great. Great. Everyone should watch Terminal List. But, like, uh, that reinforces, like, I am 100% going to a country that doesn't extradite. I'm getting a paramilitary force to, like, surround my like house and then i start thinking forward what i would do is kind of like a like an anti davos thing where it'd be like everything you just invite shit bags to like just yeah i want to find like the world's monsters to help <laughs> to help fight like whatever klaus schwab wants to accomplish and be like no we're gonna sell cheap planes that put out twice as much co2 <laughs> <laughs> just global sabotage because i mean the thing is is that like the what, what the important takeaway though is you want anonymity because like every time you hear these like lotto stories it's like dude I've watched my a couple friends, documentaries like, on this all my friends come out the woodwork and they they have genuinely like sad stories where it's like oh you know like uh, I broke my leg I just need a little bit of money and then they just end up ruining your life like you got you, you got to take the money and run there's like, an take am- the money run amazing number of people who've won the lottery like big numbers that are just flat bankrupt yeah it, it, it goes super quick. It goes super quick unless you surround yourself with the military, accept it, and anonym- you know, anonymously. You got to set up the money offshore. <laughs> Duncan, Duncan what do you do? What do you do? I'm curious about your answer. I have a feeling it has something to do with canned goods. Well, <laughs> he's already got the bunker. I, well, that was my first thought. Was sort of like a Ted Turner thing, where I like buy half a state and build a compound. Yeah, you know. And then everybody leaves me alone, hopefully. But yeah. I mean, I also watch the terminal list. I'm a little, you know, scared about people coming for me. So I think Smug sort of hit it with yeah, like you leaving the country. So I mean, maybe like a small, undeveloped island, like an island, island. Get a PJ. You got to get a private jet. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's my thing. Is like I don't want uh, a lot, but I'd need the PJ. Right. If I if there's one thing that I can get, I want the private. The most jet. valuable asset in life is time that's it and you can't get it back you can't get it back and a private jet means you have more time than everybody else not a lot i wouldn't do for that yeah (laughs) well documented (laughs) not a lot of way so uh but it it reminds me of a movie like the most hilarious answer to this question that i've ever heard you remember office space yeah do we have audio of that lawrence what would you do if you had a million (laughs) dollars I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. <laughs> the most apropos of nothing answer of all time. What a great American, though, because, you know, he doesn't want the world. <laughs> he, just wants, he just wants that. Type of chick that would double up on a guy like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so classic. Uh, so what's your answer, dude? What, what do you do? Step by step, break it down. All right, so step by step, I, I think I want distance for sure. Yeah. I I, I jumped to the studio, where's Holmes? <laughs> I, like, I like an island. I, I, I don't need fancy cars. I don't need, like, jewelry. I don't. I mean, my wife might like some of that, but, like, I'd need a PJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I need some place that's very remote. Yeah. Very remote. And then I can choose how I inject myself back into society and not. 
right? Because you don't really at that point have any obligation to. Yeah, I don't need society. I just like spiral and get crazier and crazier. Like I would, I would. You're in your own world at that point. Like, you can you imagine what society. this show would be like if one of us hit this billion dollars? <laughs> be very funny. Be you think very, you're offended funny, now? Yeah. Wait until you hear that broadcast. <laughs> Yikes, huh? No, that would be something else. Um, speaking of offending people, uh, we have a monkey update. Yes, <laughs> this is a hell breaking, of an update. Breaking, This breaking. is literally just crossed the wires on the Associated Press. Now, don't ever say that the program's not ahead of its times. Yes. Right? Yeah. We've been talking about this for weeks. Yeah, yes. we, we warn people. So, like, in, in, in Japan, it, it, the headline is Japanese city alarmed by biting, clawing, attacking monkeys. We, we, we spoke uh, a few episodes ago about, like, in Western Japan, they're trying to figure out how to deal with these monkeys. Like, you know, maybe we set some traps, you know, whatever. The situation's like really spiraled. <laughs> it's really gotten bad. It's really so. People in southwestern Japanese city have come under attack from monkeys that are t- trying to snatch babies. Yeah, hitting and biting and clawing at flesh and sneaking into nursery schools. Like they seem to be attacking. So listen to this. Listen to this. They've gotten fifty-eight people. By the way, this is not like a small sample size. We we started when they got like two or three. Mm-hmm. They're now up to 58 people with these monkeys. And by the way, it's macaque, right? Yes. Yeah. Macaque, dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so the monkey, this is the, this is from the Associated Press. I'm not, I'm not making this up. The monkeys aren't interested in food, so traps haven't worked. They have targeted mostly children and the elderly. Which is ironic because you never expect monkeys to do guerrilla warfare. You know? <laughs> you never thought they had it in them. <laughs> I mean, they can't stop these things. So, I, I mean, you read a little deeper in the story, they talk about how they're, like, basically trying to tranquilize guns, these things. I think that, they, I mean, they're going to have to use some they more said, powerful yeah, stuff. Yeah, they said it's getting so bad that Yamaguchi City Hall hired a special unit to hunt the animals. Like, well, that's got to be amazing. Be like, all right, honey, I got to go into work. I'm on the monkey task. Yeah. Like, but they brought in the tanks I'm and the, shit. I'm the, seal, I'm the SEAL Team 6 of hunting monkeys. <laughs> But the part of the sentence you you didn't read is that hunt the animals with tranquilizer guns. What good is a tranquilizer <laughs> yeah. gun going to do? Yeah. Put him to sleep, yeah. take him out to the pasture, and then he comes back into the city and starts sneaking into nursing schools? Now he's angry, and he knows what kind of weaponry you got. you got to right. do the banana trap. They haven't tried the banana <laughs> no, trap. But they no, they have. They're, they're not interested in food. They're not interested in food. This is this is just pure guerrilla warfare. Banana well, then trap maybe, won't work. Then this may- is ideological-based. Okay. Okay. They don't know how dangerous a macaque can be. <laughs> then, maybe what, then maybe what you do is instead of bananas on the top of a very, very deep swimming pool instead of bananas on the top of a swimming pool you put baby dolls it says that they're they're going after babies well that's an idea dumb animals you take baby (laughs) dolls you float them on top of a pool they go in after the baby thinking it's the baby they drown you bait bait them with a couple of grannies and a baby doll bait them in so i would go the opposite way is you arm the elderly (laughs) well that's a good idea because you take the fight to them (laughs) yeah like a pistol a pistol grip shotgun give them all give them all once you retire, you get a gun. Counterinsurgency. Counterinsurgency is the only will, way to win. We will arm the moderate elder. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So back to politics for a minute. I don't know if you guys have noticed. So we've talked about this a little bit on the program. But Democrats, because they're in such dire straits politically at this point, have reached for all kinds of different tactics to try to keep their majorities, right? We talked about in Colorado how they were literally running 
seven million dollars worth of ads for this lunatic against uh, Joe O'Day, Republican nominee now, who ultimately prevailed to try to get an unelectable Republican nominated in Colorado so Michael Bennett could win. Yeah. And, and the opponent that O'Day was against, I, I think he'd spent something like $900. So it was like, you he know, had it nothing. wasn't a real campaign. It, but he gets millions from the Dems. Because their whole idea is, the whole theory that they have behind this is like, we try to spend enough money to elect the Republican we think will lose a general election. Right. That's the purpose here. But, so, the, but there's a dissonance, obviously, in all of this, right? Because... Um, you know, they're basically propping up candidates who they think are more extreme, people who that they think are, quote unquote, a threat to democracy, people yeah. who are, quote unquote, election deniers. And you can't say that in Washington, D.C. and send out all these fundraising emails about how this is a threat to democracy. And then all that money you get from Dem donors, you spend it to try to elect them. Yeah. And they literally try to elect them. Yeah. Right. And and it's backfired in many ways. They spent a ton of money to try to get Mastriano uh, the gubernatorial nomination right. in Pennsylvania because they thought he was so f- beyond the pale and completely out of touch. Well, he's in, pulling inside the margin yeah. of error. Yeah. Right? So what's happened is you've got a bunch of Democrats who are now like, oh, uh, God. Dems in disarray. What have we done? <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? It's and, like when all of them were like, oh, man, we're just... We're just rubbing our hands. We can't wait for Trump to win this 2016 primary. Exactly. <laughs> no, literally, he's exactly that. He's dumb fucks. And, <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, that's the thing is, is they, they, their thinking was like, okay, we will try to elect who we think will lose the general election, which Republican has the worst chance of winning the general election. What they don't count on is this administration's policies continue to make things worse and worse and worse for Dems. That, like you just described, now they're pulling within margin of error. All yeah. they're doing is nominating people who ultimately may very well win, that that are like way off the spectrum, right? I mean, these are these are these are candidates who are further right than your average Republican nominee. So. What's happened is it, a and I wouldn't even say in all, in all cases that they're further right. It's not like these are no. The it's it's actually not ideological. You're it's right. Like a candidate that can only raise five hundred dollars because they're like actually aliens are like molesting me. Like tinfoil like, okay. hat, yeah. Crowd, the, right? exactly. It's not. It's not like an, it's an ideological thing. The, these people are just like borderline lunatics. Yeah. Right. So they're trying to do this, and now a growing number of House Democrats. This is according to Politico. A growing number of House Democrats are seething at their own campaign arm for meddling in a GOP primary to promote pro-Trump Trump election conspiracy theorists after months of warning that such candidates were a threat to democracy. So to your point, Duncan, yeah. what they're dealing with here is that they've actually had a hand, a big hand, major, far more than the Republican Party, at electing people that they say that is the most abhorrent. <laughs> crew in the world yeah it's dr frankenstein creating the monster it's and then being like oh no he's attacking me why they're like oh look at this crazy (laughs) stuff it's amazing but keep watching for this because they're doing it over and over and over again they haven't had a ton of luck in the house no we've had a ton of candidates on this program who are amongst the most qualified incredible human beings that i have ever seen run for office yeah and I, I, I genuinely believe that. But they are they are still pushing to try to find absolutely nonsensical. I mean, look, they're they're working at some level and they haven't put a ton of money behind it, but like Missouri, the next next election, uh Senate election next Tuesday is in Missouri, where they have Eric Greitens, right? And right. Democrats believe beyond belief 
that if this guy were elected, that they could actually take the seat. It's like a Claire McCaskill situation in Missouri with Todd Akin in 2012. And, and with Greitens, he was the guy that, like, I think Holly, when Holly was attorney general, his office investigated Greitens for, like, Greitens was doing a lot of very, very bad things. He Holly investigated him because he was tying up his hairdresser <laughs> in the basement and taking blackmail videos while having an affair with her. You can't really be doing that kind Turn, of shit. <laughs> ter- turns out that wasn't the worst thing he was doing. <laughs> no, it's gotten much worse. But now that stuff is coming out. I don't think Greitens is going to win next Tuesday. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> well, it's in sworn yeah, court yeah, yeah, depositions. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not well, taking well, any uh, liberties here. Like, no, this I know. Is, but I guess to, to, to a point you, you were making earlier, um, if you are Cindy Axney running against a guy like Zach Nunn, who we had here on the Variety program, if you're Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat in Texas, running against someone like Cassie Garcia, who we had on the Variety program, you're staring down the barrel of a very, very capable candidate who can win a seat in a moderate district in a wave election. And you're thinking to yourself, why is the National Party wasting this money playing in Republican primary right. and not helping me am in the fight of my life. It's a great question. And, and these guys are taking shitty vote after shitty vote for Biden and for Pelosi. And then at the end of the day, they're like, sorry, we're spending money on trying to play in Republican politics. And it's like, you can see why they're demoralized. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. And they're going to be a lot more demoralized after all of them come up a couple points short. Exactly. Right. All right, so this is a segment that we actually debated whether putting in here or not. I voted no. I don't understand it. Uh, Chaco Tacos are gone for good, a victim of tough decisions. This is according to the Washington Post. Uh, The chocolate-dipped ice cream novelty sweetened childhood trips to the convenience store or the ice cream truck for nearly four decades, but on Monday its manufacturer announced it was discontinuing the product, citing pandemic-era challenges. Um, it's a travesty of the highest order. Another casualty of the Biden administration. So, and, and, and you that thought, you know, Jill Biden's a fan of tacos. Yeah. Yet on his watch it <laughs> dies. It's unbelievable. Unique as a breakfast burrito, as they say. <laughs> no, a, a Chaco Taco is one of the most innovative, um, you know, cold frozen desserts that, that are out there. So you feel passionate about it, which is why we've, this is in here. Yes. I think, I think it's, it's, it's built incredibly well for travel because you've got that waffle cone which makes up the taco the Mm -hmm. taco shell Mm -hmm. if you will you know there's chocolate on top and then there's you know there's ice cream inside obviously and there's sort of like layers of the ice cream and chocolate within but that waffle cone taco shell provides uh an opportunity to keep your hands clean like Klondike makes this, for example. You ever had a Klondike bar? Oh, I love Klondike bars. Yeah, but you can't eat them without getting shit all over your hands. Well, you okay. have to be adept with a wrapper. Okay, well, fine. But what I'm saying is with with a Chaco Taco, you don't have to worry about any of that. But what's wrong? You get free movement of your hand on a delightful Chaco Taco. It's safe there on the waffle and, cone. And, and here I got to give credit to Duncan because the thing is, it's not just like any kind of waffle cone. It's a superior waffle cone. Like typically, you know, like it, it, when the Mr. Softy truck would come through and I'd be like, okay, I want my ice cream on a waffle cone, but also give me a cup so I can throw it in there and I don't have ice cream dripping all over my hands. You it's strike me as disgusting. somebody who would like a sanitary ice cream treat. It, exactly. And that's why the Chaco Taco <laughs> solved it because like the shell actually kept your hands from getting right. dirty. Wait, right. What's wrong with an ice cream cone? You don't get your hands dirty when you're holding an ice cream That's cone. That's what I'm Cake saying. or sugar. You have two choices. An ice so cream why do you cone. need a taco cone? Dude, if you hold a cone, bro, it's going to melt all over the place. Yes. It, your hands are dirty. It's an awful situation. 
you have to get a cup and you throw it in there. Like if you're gonna go the cone route, the standard cone route, you gotta do that. You eat an Choco ice cream taco cone solves so slowly that you get it all over your hands, bro. It's like a hundred degrees out. Of course, it's gonna melt fast. <laughs> and I, the I'm Choco not Taco in an igloo having my the, ice the cream. The Choco Taco is also superior to like um whatever like uh they they gotta use like what, what what's, what's the that sandwich stuff called? like whatever chemicals or whatever in the Choco Taco it holds together better than an actual normal waffle or like cone. the ice cream sandwich. Sure, I love you an know, ice cream sandwich. You get that tackiness on your hands. Yep, you I don't, don't like it. it. I don't like it. Not at all. great. And if you get the one with cookie, the cookie, oh, uh, I ice love cream sandwich, that. love that. But here's a big problem: that cookie gets so hard, yep. you go for that bite, and 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 the ice cream sort of slides out in the back. That's why the Choco Taco is superior to all of them. I appreciate your. And here's advocacy. the thing: is like I really do. This is such a like. I've m- never felt more strongly about a topic on this show. <laughs> this is this is such a money opportunity for like any other ice cream company to just roll up and take it. Be like, oh, you're gonna drop the baton on the Choco Taco. We got it. And like the marketing's already there. Like well, people we, online are like, what is wrong with you? For let's just announce right now: if you're an ice cream company, you're thinking about replicating this sort of thing. Let's partner up with Ruthless. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Duncan can sell the shit out of that. Yeah. Oh, yes. What oh, he yes. just explained to me, I did a 180 on the chart. <laughs> I, I thought it was a positively un-American deal right up until the point where he explained the efficiency of the eating of the Choco Taco. It's now brilliant. I'm on board. It's, it's brilliant. absolutely yeah. brilliant. All right. So Smug, I need you on this one. Absolutely. Um, this was news to me. It was in Axios. Chinese officials attempted to infiltrate the Fed for over a decade. Yeah. That is one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard of yeah so i so everyone can get the gravity situation i'm just going to read straight from this access article it says china-based officials tried to build a network of confidants inside the federal reserve in some cases attempting to offer employees of the central bank lucrative contracts in exchange for confidential information about interest rate policy changes and the u.s economy a congressional investigation found this is also very germane because when you have a situation where the Fed is trying to fight inflation, right? So they have access to data. Every piece of economic data that's accumulated in this country gets taken in by the Fed. You can see it on their website, Fred.org. And here's the problem is they, you know, within their secret meetings, the Fed uh, governors from from Dallas, from Atlanta, from various Fed offices and, and Jerome Powell at the top, they decide interest rate policy going forward, but you have to wait until that data is released publicly at their meeting once they release it right and that's why you see the stock market reacts in real time and why it's like uh, it would be such huge huge scandal if that data were to leak because it would be like inside trading and you couldn't you know make bets on it well the chinese figured out like what if we just like implant some folks in there to get their hands on this data and says perhaps the most shocking details of the investigation concerned a fed economist who traveled to shanghai in 2019 chinese officials threatened to imprison him if he did not disclose information about the economy, including about tariffs, while the U.S. and China were in the middle of a trade war. The economist was detained four separate times while on the trip, according to the report. The report, which relies and builds on a separate internal investigation conducted by the Fed itself in 2015, said the findings show, quote, a sustained effort by China to gain influence over the Fed. Wow. Wow. Well, that's stunning. Think about that. The so- Chinese government is trying to gain influence over the body which sets economic policy for the United States of America. I mean, I wish I could tell you I was surprised. I mean, if you if you look at the rest of what they've been up to, particularly in the information war mm-hmm. with our tech companies, censorship, tech TikTok, by the way, mm, perfect example of that. Um, 
I guess this is the this is the obvious. I mean, this is this is before you even get to any of that. If they can get inside of that, I mean, this is the same country, by the way, that hacked OPM. Exactly. Right. The the Office of Personnel Management, which holds not only all the personnel files for the for the federal government of the United States, but also background checks. Yes. For, for for people who have like uh, security clearances, yeah, right. So the next time somebody who's worked there, you know, travels over to China, they have all of the compromat they might need on that person. Bingo. They've got everything that they need. Yeah. But then you know, separate and aside from that, if you look at like TikTok, and there's been stories that come out on TikTok today actually that are completely alarming about the level of disinformation that's being pushed to kids. Right. Yes. While they're while they're on that site, I can't believe. I can't believe that this White House is on TikTok. Yeah. It, it genuinely When already members me. of our military and federal government are told, do not install that on your phone, that this White House, this administration uses that as a tool for their messaging, it's sickening. I hope they're keeping them in like a Faraday box or something. Oh, you know they're not. These people, I mean, they don't know what they're doing. They're playing with fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're telling me that the TikTok guy that showed up at the White House, remember this guy that was talking about like all the great COVID stuff that this administration, remember this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Remember that guy? I mean, oof, I, I got a lot to say. I'm gonna hold hold to Which, myself about him, but but that in and of itself, he's a TikTok star that they're promoting from the White House, shows a level of disconnect that right. is so unbelievably dangerous. Yeah, and this so it says the report says the Fed's probe identified a former employee with ties to a Chinese government-backed talent recruitment program, who tried to pull in a network of as many as 13 researchers employed across eight. Fed regional banks, like I was telling you, like there's Dallas Fed, there's a Atlanta Fed. Uh, the Fed presented these findings to Congress in 2020, but now disputes many of the internal probe's claims and can't locate parts of the investigative material. Oh, like, okay. What's <laughs> going on here? What's going on here? Well, and what happened to the dude who was detained four times? Like we don't know his name, but did he get undetained because he shared the information? And and why is it that Dems who control the House, the Senate, and the White House are are making sure that this information doesn't get out? Be- why is this happening? Because they're sharing their pronouns. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the, I mean, look the the they're just not serious. They're not serious. They're not serious. They're, they don't they don't take these threats seriously. This president, this White House, it may be one of the worst presidencies we've ever had in the history of this country no yeah. question and i think it's even more insidious than they're they're dumb i i think a lot of these people like you look at the jake shermans these like you know these these aspiring little plutocrats who, who want to be part of not like, jake not Sherman. jake or not, not jake, Sherman, jake. Uh, jake sullivan jake sullivan yeah. my mistake uh these, right. the, the, these not to be confused with a punch bowl guy <laughs> yeah. who actually is a, is a is a good dude jake, and actually reports jake sullivan, one of the few reporters who actually does his job in washington jake sullivan who started like who is the dem like foreign policy guy who who is completely complicit with all of these policy maneuvers and who was complicit as part of the whole like in the center of russia conspiracy theory in the center of, of russia gate center of all of this those people i think have made a bet of where they're like and eh, the next 20 years i think china probably beats the u.s so i'm kind of like angling towards that <sighs> that would be my guess it's more insidious these aren't stupid people these are people who just are not patriotic. They don't care about this country, and they're, and they're like, "Well, if I if I can help China, if I can be a good little boy, maybe they won't like send me to the camps first. God, I hope you're wrong about I that. I do too. I mean, that is that's treason, is what that is. That's just I hope you're wrong about that. Um, but speak it. We we brought this up. Uh, a bizarre Kamala Harris meeting the other day, by the way. So she's got I I think 
a group that were advocating with disabilities and and and, and whatnot, but sat down in I don't know if it's the Roosevelt Room or whatever in the White House. I think we've got audio of this. Uh, Kamala Harris introducing herself at this meeting. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table. Okay. <laughs> it's like, this is how the vice president now of the country introduces themselves. Like, what is going on? Like, my name is Kamala Harris. I am a woman. What, what, what What's the need now at this point to identify yourself with your pronouns as a woman? Number one, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, she can actually say that she's a woman. I didn't know if that was allowed. Like, Supreme Court justice can't even define that anymore. Well, how, how is it, like, I asked the question rhetorically on Twitter yesterday. Like, what happens if you sit down in your morning meeting and you go around the table at your office and everybody does that song and dance? <laughs> I mean, what the hell kind of reaction would you have? Anywhere else in the country other than, I don't know, like Berkeley, You'd be like, where am I? What am I? Is this a different planet? Uh, it's, uh, my name is Al Hergesheimer. My pronouns are debit and credit. I'm here to report on the accounting for the day. I mean, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you'd never get anything done. I just can't believe, uh, you know, stuff. <laughs> it's such a, uh, it's a good Shout minute. out to any accountant who pulls that at a meeting. <laughs> can't improve upon that i think you know honestly holmes i mean i hate to be cynical about all of this but i think it's more pervasive than than we'd like to think well i want to hear from i want to hear from the minions on this yeah i'd love to hear if your workplace morning meeting or a meeting where you're meeting other people within your workplace opens up with an introduction of pronouns I want to know about it. Well, just, I mean, you, you see what happens on Twitter every single day and the way that these corporations bend over backwards to not offend the woke left. I mean, think about it as a corporation with liability from for an employee being offended. You think you can get sued for not offering your pronouns? I think somebody could sue the company for an interaction with another employee, and that's why you end up with these diversity training exercises that they force employees to go through. I mean, through. think how fucked we are. I know. If we're in a situation where the, the most powerful companies in America, the drivers of job creation and economic growth, have to wait 27 minutes at the front end of the, every meeting describing how you should refer to them. Unreal. No, I mean, like, this is how civilizations end. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I'll don't... tell you what, China's not doing that at their meetings. So like, all right, who's got what fed meeting yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's do, get to work do you folks. got it or not yeah yeah oh man it's ridiculous okay let's lighten things up i think we should play a game let's play a game well it's thursday so that can only mean one thing king of the hill oh lovely return lovely return Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Once again, it's time for King of the Hill and today's Clash of the Titans, a rage in the cage, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Washington Post. Jennifer Brainworms Ruben. And now, in the red corner, hiding out of his own Twitter account and current 
champion of the world, Matthew Mailpattern Dowd. Well, that's just a lovely introduction. Lovely. Clash of Titans today. Let me just say at the outset. Okay. That I have filed a formal inquiry. A preemptive inquiry? A formal, An inquiry. A formal inquiry. Because, frankly, I don't remember we were having such a good time. But I feel like the last time we played King of the Hill was in Minnesota. Yeah. And I feel like Smug had Ruben. Nah, bro. We've played since. And I didn't use Ruben. Ruben's good to go. Well, that's why it's an inquiry, not a protest. Okay. So T- I'd T- like to just review the records well, on well, that. When T-Rex hears this show, he will... He'll clear that up okay well that's why it's an inquiry shout out to t-rec <laughs> on twitter that's why it's an inquiry <laughs> okay all right so mail pattern matthew dowd mm-hmm. so he's uh retweeting himself oh. oh he's got a tweet leading with the heat yeah you know what I, honestly i'm so confident ruben i'll even go first if you want me to oh uh, let me let me withdraw. as long as you want me to let oh. me withdraw it, let me as withdraw. long as you want me to yeah. oh yeah let me withdraw okay so jen rubin <laughs> from yesterday amazing tweet smug as a smirk on his face <laughs> her tweet is a quote retweet she drops 100 the 100 emoji yeah right? and the tweet is from matthew dowd saying <laughs> oh next level saying dem candidates and strategists and consultants need to realize these numbers change for dems not because improvement in perception of biden or of the economy but because focus on roe guns and january 6th committee that is what their message needs to focus on the message needs to focus on roe guns and january 6th committee and and jen rubin's like yes yes dude as the as the washington post conservative yes let me keep this super short for you what she's saying 102 that's my tweet (laughs) I have never seen this before in King of the Hill. We've been playing this game for like two years. <laughs> That's my tweet. So the judge and jury must deliberate upon whether the tweet itself is better than the 100 agreeing with it. The difference is like if you in, in volleyball, it's kind of like, you know, you set and then you spike. Ruben had the spike there. <laughs> no. She's like, I am. The conservative opinion writer for the Washington Post. There is a dig. And here's what I stand for. There we need a- more January 6th committee. That's how the numbers are going to go up. There is a What dig. a take. There is a dig what and a, a set involved before we get to any of that. But also just to provide greater context for okay. the judge. Wait, so what's the tweet that you're going with? He, that was the tweet. Okay, so the that's tweet. the tweet. So what, what context do you need? Bro? Well, the context is that he was retweeting himself. He was retweeting himself first- uh, Jen Rubin dropped a hundred on a Dowd self retweet, bro. I don't that's even the, feel like I need to elaborate. That's the bump set, and then Ruben hit the spike. Well, so, that's why. I don't feel like I need to elaborate, but because for for the for the good fortune of the audience, I feel like I will. Okay. Right. So, in his misuse of the internet, his initial tweet was about some poll numbers that showed a disconnect in approval from Biden. Yeah. And the generic ballot. Right. Right. And anyone who has ever been a political strategist of any form or fashion, particularly on the Republican side, which Matt Dowd was, knows that that disconnect happens cyclically. Right. Every single cycle, Republican or Democrat, until you get into the fall campaign and the environment catches up with the ballot question. Right. Not to mention that we just had redistricting. So there's a lot of people who don't know who necessarily the congressman even is. So it's a willful ignorance of his entire Correct. background to begin with. Yeah. A misuse of the Internet. Yes. And the content that gave rise to her 
one hundred. Yes, spike. It's Call incre- it what it is. It's the spike, bro. R- Ruben fucking won that hands down. So I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pissed off too. I think Smug gets the style points here. Absolutely incredible style points. Preempting you, and then playing the quote tweet of the tweet you were going to play, and that's the only thing that's stopping me from immediately giving you the round is that the man has just changed the game in a fundamental way. <laughs> I mean, it's really impressive yeah. that he called that and just played it. You have to. And the strength of that... But I think... Like, you got to change the game, bro. On the technical merits... we got to move onwards. G- I got to give it to Holmes. Wow. I got to give it to you Holmes. Because can't, you can't... If he hadn't RT retweeted himself... I would have given it to you. Oh, it was the it was the so the misuse it always plays a critical role. It does. It always plays a critical role. All right. So does that mean I go second? Yeah. Like I I go I go I start. Or does he have to start again? I think he has to start again. I think he does because he gave it up. Those are the rules. All right. Well, lucky for y'all, she's got a ton of fire. Okay. This is from Jen Rubin yesterday. Call it anti-woman or pro-maternal death. But please don't call the forced birth movement pro-life. <laughs> don't call saving a baby's life pro-life, folks. <laughs> forced, forced birth. She's the conservative this columnist. This is the con- yeah, conservative columnist. Forced can, birth is something. Call it restore the Republican Party. Or pro-maternal death, but please don't call the forced birth movement pro-life. <laughs> I, like, I like that she fills the entire tweet this, with this invective, this absolute... Hatred and then says please. <laughs> it's a nice touch. I'll grant you that. Okay. Dowd, uh, July twenty four, four forty nine PM, right around cocktail hour. Yeah. Right. Bizarre lack of integrity in the GOP message. Republican governors who take all the credit for low unemployment in their states, but put blame on Biden for inflation. Either Biden should have the responsibility for both or neither GOP you don't get to take credit for the good misplace the bad so here's the thing with this right if you already got to explain it bro like come on man right you know the reason why it is so hilarious is because the GOP governors who are taking credit for low unemployment are the ones that open their fucking states back up right it's you know how like libs have their like comedy shows on Netflix and like well here's why it's funny actually yeah that's what we're going through right now it's outrageous (laughs) It's outrageous. It's getting chippy today. Yeah, no, I mean this kind of this kind of invective early on you in this fight game. To win. You get a fight to win. See, this is what happens when we don't play King of the Hill for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Things get really chippy. The uh, idea, the idea that governors are not to credit for things like let's say Texas, for example, versus Illinois. Yeah. Right. Low taxes, litigation reform. Uh, they opened their state back up. They didn't lock down. All those things. None of that is responsible for the unemployment, right? But somehow Texas is responsible for the inflation. Yeah, right. Nationwide. See, I, I like both these tweets because we're in both ones. They're whining about the message, right? Like they're whining about you know um, pro life versus abortion, or or here with Republican governors and Biden and inflation and jobs. Uh, so I like that they're sort of both in genre. Um, that being said, I mean, forced birth it's movement. So, it's, dude, it's so hot. She's like, don't call saving the baby's life pro-life. My name's Jen Rubin, and I'm the conservative opinion writer. For what 
I say there's there's some things that she tweets that makes me think like she's a double agent. Like, <laughs> like she's like this is actually like her long con against the yeah. libs to like trick them into thinking they're on her, you know, th- she's on her, their side. You know, when she quote tweets Dowd being like, yes, please talk more about abortion. That'll, that'll change I, the election. I would love if the whole thing was like, it's a Jen Rubin revenge arc from like yeah. getting ratioed by libs in the early days of Twitter. And she's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go like undercover among you and yeah. sabotage your movement with brainworm takes. <laughs> I'm going to be the dumbest person on, on, on planet Earth and represent you. <laughs> That's good. Uh. She's like she's like in Homeland. She's the yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. Homeland, she came agent. back and she's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just I gotta give Smug round two. Let's fucking yeah, no, go. I, I, I listen. I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. All right. So I'm leading this one, or do you want to take this one too, pal? No, I, you can go if you want. Okay. It's up to you. I'm gonna take us in a different direction. A lot of different things you can do with doubt, but here is like if you're a connoisseur of doubt, this hits home. Okay. Happy birthday to Russian poet Yevgeny Yevchenko. <laughs> birthday, 1933. Quote, when truth is replaced by silence, the silence is a lie. Unquote. Quote, all values in this world are more or less questionable, but the most important thing in life is human kindness. Unquote. God, that's so weak. I'm so happy you dropped that weak shit. <laughs> that is not weak. That's so weak. Here is a guy who literally made a living for We're the last out here 10 reading years. War and peace, and it's like, be kind, rewind. Russia Gate. <laughs> quoting, hold on, <laughs> quoting Russian poetry from a 1930s author about, and this is the best projection I can think of when truth is replaced by silence, silence is a lie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, you know, and it's it's perfectly timed, by the way, on July 18th to the hearings that are happening with January 6th, right? right. So it's like a wait, it's wait, like wait, a, wait, what did he drop that on? Ju- uh, July 18th. Okay, just want that in the record. Oh, okay. So you're gonna play, you're gonna play <laughs> the just want to make that sure. All right, I got my take ready to roll. Just want to make sure we got that. Oh wow, I don't even need it, dude. My take is so fucking good. All right, go. <laughs> this dropped yesterday. Jen Rubin, and I don't need to read War and Peace to win this. If Trump feels a tad claustrophobic, it's because the walls are closing in. No! Unironically! No, no, oh, no. Jesus. No! Oh, I mean, Jesus. that's just a haymaker. <laughs> haymaker to the temple. Down goes Dowd. Smug champion. I can't. I can't. Nothing I can say about it. The walls are closing <laughs> Unironically, man. Unironically. <laughs> I just... God, she's a tough out. She is such a tough out. She's so out of control. How can she... Sp- what I don't understand is how can she spend so much time on the internet and on Twitter and that platform in general and not realize how cringe that it, is? It's, it's she, the brainworms, dude. They've she, hit the parts that like control motor movements and everything in the brain. <laughs> Like she, she has no control. She wants it more than everybody else. This yeah. is the mark of a true champion. She she is going to go down in history as the Babe Ruth of this sport. Yeah. Yeah. Except you know her win and loss records not you know doubt still the king. It's okay. But, but, but who'd have thought Jen Rubin can take L's too? Like I mean the, she does it on a daily basis. I mean the reason so it's it king of the hill. The reason it's king of the hill is it's tough to stay on top of the hill. That's the thing. It's tough to stay on top of the hill. Also, Twitter has changed a lot of their issues. Like it's not as easy to access uh, Dowd tweets as it was. Yeah, dude. I'm always blocked. <laughs> Very difficult. We have our ways you cannot hide. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Not as easy. Not impossible. All right. Well, I got that win for Jen Rubin. What do we got next on the docket? All right. So this is John Toon. This is a fantastic interview with the South Dakota Senator and Republican Whip in the United States Senate, John Thune. I want to welcome to the program from the great state of South Dakota, I think the pride of Jones County. <laughs> there you go. Right? He's the Republican Whip of the United States Senate, John Thune. Well, it's nice to be on the program. Yeah, it is. Thanks, it's nice to have you here and in person, no yeah. less. Yeah. In I love the flesh. It. In the flesh. I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on up there. Yeah, it's a it's a busy time. Um, I tell people we're just trying to keep it on the rails <laughs> until <laughs> till hopefully we get some reinforcements in November. Then wouldn't and, that be uh, nice? Yeah, it would be nice. So we can st- instead of having to react to the agenda and play a lot of defense, we can start getting on offense. Yeah, no kidding. But I imagine this time of year it'd be nice to get back to South Dakota too. Right? That's true. Yeah, when uh, you know um, summer rolls around South Dakota, that's where you want to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, got the walleye biting. Got the walleye. The walleye. The yeah. Walleye are biting. Uh, Missouri beckons. The Black Hills are full of uh, you know travelers and lots, right. of, lots of activity out there. The uh, Sturgis bike rally gets going. Gets oh rolling yeah, here pretty fast, and that's a uh, that's always a a huge event. Oh, so, it's a massive event. It is. They come from all over. Do you annually go to that? You know, I don't annually go. Um, you know, I have because it's got to be tough to get in and out of, right? Well, it's a, it's it is, and it's also it's a lot of there aren't that many in-state people. A okay, lot of, a lot of the locals they they rent their places out, they leave. Oh, it's sort of a pilgrimage, and right? then they yeah, and then they and then they pay uh, you know they make bank uh, renting their their houses out, <laughs> uh, and these people coming from all over, but they have a lot of you know classic rock. 70s and 80s vintage uh, type bands play. Um, well, that's pretty good. Deal. Yeah, and they'll get literally hundreds of thousands of people out there. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, a, the community hats off to the community for being able to host that. Yeah, it is. Year, it's, right? uh, they they do, and um, huge uh, huge economic obviously impact not only for the community for the state. So the rest of the state uh, leaves town and scouts out the jackrabbits, and <laughs> tries to figure out how they're going to do this year, huh? Yeah. Well, there's there's that, um, and uh, there's the jackrabbits and the coyotes, um, and uh, yeah, it's got to be. You know, our our teams have really come along. We went to Division One here a few years back, and you know, we're what's considered uh, those are two mid-major programs, but mm-hmm. have really excelled in a lot. Of they really so, have. Yeah, I mean, they they're. Know. They're playing big time competition now. We're excited for them, proud of them, and yeah, it's uh, in a small state like South Dakota, especially in the winter months. There's not a lot else to talk about, so we you know, <laughs> we talk about whatever the sports teams are doing, and uh, it becomes a you know a place for people to hang out. So, if, in terms of your pro sports allegiances, South Dakotans kind of go in a couple of different directions. The vast majority of them I found are Vikings fans. Right. Are you a Vikings fan? Well, and I know you are, Josh. Yeah, I mean, that's um, why I'm testing the waters here. I'm, I'm an anomaly um, in in Viking country. Okay. I've, since I've been about six years old, I've been a Packers fan. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you that's know, I, as, as I think you probably know, I lost my first election by 524 votes. And I think being an out-of-the-closet Packer fan in Viking country may have cost me my first Senate election because <laughs> the Viking fans are very intense and serious about it out there. Let that be a lesson to you yeah, Senator yeah, right. yeah, I, <laughs> I made the mistake once of I couldn't find any green on St. Patrick's Day so I threw on a Packer sweatshirt Oy. my kids had got me and you know people on the parade route by that time are, have had a little they've imbibed a little bit anyway but I didn't think I was going to get out of there alive I mean people yelling at me, <laughs> like all the Viking fans were going nuts yeah no I mean there's a big contingent in South Dakota also like huge. twins fans and I mean yeah 
a lot of twins and western south dakota the missouri river is kind of the dividing line in a lot of ways in south dakota but what we call west river there's uh, more broncos and rockies and, oh yeah uh, right. some of the western stuff but everything on the east side of the states uh, pretty much minnesota well good thing it's yeah, a good yeah. thing i know yeah. you're happy about yeah. that yeah <laughs> these are responsible people who have uh, and, and, and we open the vikings and the packers open september 11th uh in minnesota I, and i'm um, hoping to be there yeah so. all right good good well let's get down to business because yeah. there's a couple of things in particular that i want to talk to you about because we've been talking on the show a lot about these two very different areas but you've had a reputation of not only you know in leadership but also being a pretty serious legislator in that if you put your name on something it's not only worth doing but you're working to try to get it done it's not you're not one of those guys that just sort of slaps your co-sponsorship or sponsorship on top of legislation and you know hope you get credit for it. you actually have been working for it and the first one which i was just enthusiastic to see you sponsor was the deal as it deals with email and political mm-hmm. email being sent and just by way of background for our, our audience there has been a discrepancy between republicans and democrats in terms of f- fundraising and how google in particular processes mail from campaigns that are republican versus email that is sent from a democrat and there's studies and in, in, in which that show that democrat uh inboxing they call it basically that you get the message and it doesn't go to spam is light years more likely to be delivered than a Republican. And and I know this has been a, a subject of a lot of conversation amongst your colleagues. You're on top of this. Well, yes, and it is a, com- a topic of conversation for obvious reasons. I mean, it's costing um, Republicans who are running for elective office in this country literally millions and, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars um, in the 2020 election, North, North Carolina State University did this study, and they analyzed, um, and you said Gmail represents about 50% of the email in this country. Then you got Yahoo and uh, Microsoft Outlook and a few others, but that um, 68% of Republican emails, political emails, fundraising, but other types of political emails, uh, went to spam. <laughs> 8%, 8% of Democrats. I mean, that's a huge delta. It's and impossible to it explain, it too, right? And they, and they couldn't explain it. I mean, they, they attempted, but they couldn't. So, um, yeah, we introduced a bill just to say, you know, uh, uh, that um, the use of the algorithms and the way that they manipulate uh, the content that people see, that you ought to empower the consumer to make that decision. If I want to unsubscribe from something, what was interestingly enough, I mean, even would somebody, if they would, um, it would go to spam, we had a, one of our senators who, and she tested this out, sent something and, or got received something, and then it went to spam. She pulled it out of spam, said, I know I want to get these, and they, they, they filtered it out again. Still went out. Yeah, still went out. So I, I think in the end, a lot of this is really these companies um, are under a lot of criticism in this country for obvious reasons. Part of it is they just aren't transparent. Right. They don't show you their work product. Um, they've got these opaque algorithms, and what we're calling for is more transparency, more accountability, and, and let the consumer make the decision. Well, it, it, what's so frustrating about it is that they're sent oftentimes to what we call house files, right? Yeah. So these are people who have willingly contributed to a campaign that they support, and they want to get the information, and they still filter it out. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a different level. That almost takes sort of sinister intent at some level. Well, it, it, you can't, like I said, when you have a, um, a difference of 
percentage points in the the percentage of of emails one party versus the other that are getting spammed um, instead of inboxed, then something's seriously wrong with your algorithm. Wrong, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, again, absent uh, them coming up with a good explanation for it, we think they need a little help. And uh, so we're going to try and see if we can't straighten this out. Well, and that's the thing. The significance of you putting your name on this is that I'm sure there are people clamoring over at Google to try to provide some solutions. The question is, is it too little too late? Because, I mean, one of the things that's plagued all of our candidates, and this is a huge contributing factor, is that we have significant chasms between what Democrats are doing online with small dollar and Republicans. Now, part of that is the ecosystem and everything else, but this is a big part of that factor. And honestly, what we're looking at is three or four to one in terms of what could be political spending this November as a result of it. Absolutely. And and the the, the remarkable thing about it really is we had a couple of our folks uh, who in the last election um, had significant uh, digital success raising money. And when they heard these statistics, they started doing the calculation of how much, how much money they, they left on the table. And I'm not kidding. I mean, they were there were they were guys in the room talking about lawsuits. Yeah, because it's it's literally it's in the millions. And we had a couple of our folks in the tens of millions of dollars. Wow. If, if that if that if that um, you know proportionality with respect to what was getting filtered and what wasn't actually uh, was the norm during the 2020 election. So do you think that you're going to get some answers on this now that you've taken the next move? Or do you, you think that this is going to require, hopefully, Republican majorities to do something about it legislatively? Well, we've gotten their attention, let's put it that way. And so they're at least attempting now to, to reach out. But I do think that if we get the majorities back, um, we'll be in a much better position, obviously, to legislate on this issue. And and if nothing else, to do some fairly straightforward and simple things, which I think, you know, uh, most Americans would say, well, that makes sense. You know, if you have, uh, if you're using an algorithm to manipulate the content that people are seeing, you ought to notify the consumer about that, and frankly, you ought to give them the option. Yeah. If they don't want to get the manipulated content, the the algorithmic content, content, and just get a chronological feed, they ought to have that option. So for us, it's all about empowering the individuals and forcing the um, these companies who operate in in the dark in a lot of ways with these opaque algorithms to become more transparent and more accountable. Well, God bless you for doing it. I <clears throat> I love the answers every time. Well, it's complicated. It's yeah, like, well, that's what they say. Well, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty complicated. Well, our algorithms are very, very complicated. You know? It's like, well, it's what, we're giving them what they want. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem so in this case, does sure it? Sure doesn't. Oh, yeah. man. Well, thank you for doing it. We'll, we'll stay on top of that and follow. Please let us know what, what you find out. We'll do. The second thing that you've been working working on we've talked a lot about because in our view you know the left doesn't just use the power of government to basically try to impact an agenda that is is leftward leaning most likely most often environmental they do it through the private system right they do it through corporate america too and a big part of that is this environmental social governance standards this esg stuff and we've talked a ton about that but I know you have a particular interest in this as it affects farmers in South mm-hmm. Dakota as well. So you've been on this? Yeah, we have. And um, earlier this week, I filed a bill to get at this issue because what we've seen, to your point, this ESG movement, which is environmental sustainability and governance, puts pressure 
on the private sector in this country, basically, to just lend money to or invest in um, uh, the you know Democrats' favorite types of industries, right? And and actually discourages through regulation, through financial um, and securities regulators. Uh, and I wouldn't say more than discourage, pressures these companies not to invest in certain sectors of the economy, like oil and gas. Yeah. And you know that's the most obvious one. But what we've seen, if you can believe this, small ag lenders in South Dakota, even credit unions, have expressed concerns that they're starting to see this movement extend now to stepping on agricultural operations. So livestock operations, for example, uh, they emit methane. Uh, go <laughs> this, figure, this right? This is the old AOC cow yeah. fart deal. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so this, this this if left to its logical conclusion or extension, it gets crazy. Yeah, and and I think you know you're talking about core industries in this country that are critical to America's economy when feeding America and fueling America, and um, and you've got a, a government, a big government with the heavy hand of regulators. Uh, leaning into and in many cases pressuring companies, and that's why you see these gas prices. You know, I mean, yeah. they've crushed oil and gas production in America to the point where we're now having to go other places to get it. And which uh, is wild, right? It I is mean, wild. Yeah, when you consider the fact that we we're energy independent two years ago, and now we're in a situation where the president of the United States is down fist pumping in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a long way, right? It is, and and you know whether it's Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or any of the any of these other countries, some of which are run by thuggish dictators, um, the fact that an American president would have to go hat in hand and ask for energy that we have an abundance of right here in the United States, if he would only unleash it. So our you know the key is to get these energy producers off the sidelines, back into the game, producing American energy, making America energy independent, and. Um, and I don't think this administration gets it because they're under so much pressure from their yeah. crazy um, left, and uh, this climate agenda is just dominant in everything that they they do. Well, it's so funny because I, you would think their arguments are just so bad, right? But but the worst one is when the Ukraine issue happened, and all of a sudden they threw up their hands and they're like, "Well, there's nothing we can do about gas prices. It's Putin. Yeah. It's Putin's gas." And I was like, well, "Okay." If you have a domestic policy that makes you reliant on people like Vladimir Putin, isn't that just the biggest cell phone of all time, yeah, right? Totally, like, totally. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I've put your your livelihoods at the whims of a madman in Russia, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it's really stunning if you think about it. And honestly, he blames Putin. He blames Ukraine and the, and the conflict there. These gas prices were out of sight well before that. That's and right. And the reason they were out of sight is because he had shut down supply. Demand started coming back up, coming out of the pandemic. And we were in a situation where we had, uh, you know, the textbook definition is too many dollars chasing too few of goods, and we didn't have enough energy, and people wanted it, and gas prices went up. That's the that's where it comes from, and that's how it gets solved is by us producing American energy again. No question about it. But this has now pressured your American consumer in a, the worst possible way and that it intersects with inflation yeah. and what we've seen, which is 40-year highs in that regard. I know the Fed today announced a three quarters of a point yeah. basis point increase again. I mean, what what's your take on where we're at and where we're going with this? Economy? Well, and you know, and to your point, because the bill that we introduced on ESG basically said that these regulatory agencies have to consider the impact that their policies would have on inflation as long as we're you know, still experiencing inflation, and if it would increase the cost of goods in the economy, they they wouldn't be able to move forward, be prevented from from issuing these new regulations. But I think you know that on the 
broader issue uh, of inflation and uh, and where this is headed. The Fed obviously is trying to step in. And I've seen this when I was a kid, you know, or not a kid, but in high school, um, back in the late 70s and early 80s, we had this same situation where you had the Federal Reserve is ratcheting rates up to try and, you know, knock inflation down. And again, it's a function of policies. It's too much spending, too many dollars chasing too few goods, lack of a coherent energy policy, and the heavy hand of, of you know regulatory and taxing policy that this administration continues to pursue. And honestly, I think one of the best ways you could get, you want to get supply back up, you want to get investors investing in producing more goods in this economy to keep up with the demand that's out there that starts bringing inflation down. So I think lighter regulatory touch, um, you know, some relief in the in the in the tax world, um, coupled coupled with uh, reduced uh, wasteful federal spending and a coherent energy policy, and, and you'll get back to equilibrium where we should be, uh, where inflation's kind of at least in an acceptable range. And remember, 1.4 percent when Biden took office, 1.4 percent, 9.1 percent year over year last month Jeez. represents for an American family, according to the Joint Economic Committee analysis, an additional nine thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's the biggest tax for increase basic in necessities. It's on everybody. Yeah, yeah it's on everybody. It hits the heart. It hits low income Americans the hardest. Well, unfortunately, all the solutions that you identified uh, are entirely reliant on the Republican Party coming right. into power because these guys, as best I can tell. Their strategy is redefining what a recession is, right? I mean, we've yeah. sort of sort of worked with the common definition of two quarters that are negative GDP constitutes a recession. Now you've seen over the last week, they're trying to reevaluate that definition. Yeah, and they're already hinting at, you know, tomorrow the numbers come out and uh, some of the, the suggestions have been we could be, a, you know, a point down a negative GDP, which would represent two quarters of negative uh, economic growth, which technically, uh, under the old definition, <laughs> yeah. was a recession, but now the administration, oh no, it's not. It's much broader. It's much broader. <laughs> um, well, that's not what the American people are feeling. I mean, and I think that um, they don't have the capacity or the will at this point to make the changes that are necessary to get us back on a better footing when it comes to our economy, which is why, to your point, we've got to flip the majorities in the Congress. Well, that's just the only answer, yeah. in my view. So where does that stand? We've got, you know, obviously. The environment is what it is. It's 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 as a result of everything that this administration has done. That's just turned to garbage over the last year and a half. You know, all of the environmental signs look like Republicans are going to have a big day. Obviously, there's a lot of work that has to go into that between now and November. Where do you think that is in the Senate? I think it it, it you know feels pretty good. I think the environment is good uh, as gas prices stay high, Biden's poll numbers stay low, and you know usually midterm elections kind of track with uh, with that. Um, you know, we have to execute. We, our candidates have to execute, and they can't underperform even though it's a good environment. Uh, and, and we've that seen, that, a, right? we've I mean, seen that, right? <laughs> we've I was, seen that. When I was uh, working in the Senate, we had two consecutive cycles in 10 and 12 where we, uh, we managed to shoot ourselves in the foot almost every way possible. Yeah. And there's been a lot of reprising of that talk about whether or not our candidates have it. What's your sense? You think you think that we can get on track here? I do, and I think there's plenty. I mean, there's time left, you know, clearly. But the the all the things you have to do, what I call the blocking and tackling of campaigns, you got to raise money, you got to have a message, um, you got to you got to have uh, you know at least some sort of an organization out there to turn people out on election day. Um, so it's 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 really executing on those essentials, doing the blocking and tackling. 
uh, and some of our candidates have been a little slow on the uptake. Mm-hmm. But I think you know there's time, and in the end, this is going to come down to um, when you look at two candidates, uh, which, who among them is going to be a, a vote for the Biden agenda, right. who's going to be a vote against it. And it's going to be inflation, energy, the border, and a lot of things that I think really are favorable for us. So, but we, you know, that being said, that's no excuse for, uh, for our candidates not getting the job done. And we've underperformed when it comes to fund, fundraising and other areas. Uh, we just got to step up the game and, uh, and finish strong. And I think we can have a really good outcome. Yeah. Well, if anybody knows how to do that, it's you. I mean, you started your Senate career, as you said, uh, in a tough O2 race that you know was ridiculously difficult, but then you turn around in 04 and beat the sitting majority leader of the United States Senate. Uh, you know how to win a tough race. Well, I you know, I either sometimes to be you know better to be lucky than good maybe, but I <laughs> I'm pretty but sure I, that was not luck. Well, we worked hard and had a good organization, and uh, you know, but you're to take advantage of a good environment like we have this year. You just can't assume that that's going to carry you. You know, you can't say, oh, we're going to have a tailwind or we're going to have a wave election. You have to be able, you still got to do the things that are necessary to, to, you know, bring it across the finish line. And um, I'm hoping that in the next few months as our candidates, you know, rise to that challenge that uh, we're going to have a, a really good year. Yeah, well, I hope so too. So your, your job in addition to representing South Dakota, you've got to keep all these people in line as the Republican whip in the United States Senate. Democrats are trying to do all kinds of terrible stuff here at the end. And we've seen this before, right? Political fortunes uh, go south. It seems to me like Democrats have a, a reaction to that. That is, like if 2010 was a good guide, yeah. try to do every terrible thing you can possibly do. It's almost like a, a political suicide mission in trying to do exactly what the administration or the American people are saying, please do not do. Right. They're trying to reprise that again, it seems to me. And you guys are, are having to fight those battles every day up there. We are. And even though, yeah, I mean, you'd think, you'd think you're less, if you're in a hole, quit digging, right? <laughs> so they want to spend more, tax more, regulate more. Um, in an economy that's got, you know, 9.1%, 40-year high inflation, uh, an economy is very wobbly. You mm-hmm. know, when you talk about two consecutive quarters, potentially when the numbers come out tomorrow of negative economic growth, we're in a really uncertain time, and you would think that the very things that put us in this hole in the first place, you would probably say, let's not do more of that. But that's what they're trying to do more of. And and then they're probably and they're also trying to change the subject. They don't want to talk about these things because they know their policy decisions have led to these a lot of these bad outcomes. So they're trying to shift to all these uh, other types of. Um, Issues uh, create culture wars yep. when, in fact, the American people are focused very much on their pocketbooks and on kitchen table issues. No, no question. So, uh, how often are you sending flowers and a box of chocolates to Joe Manchin's office <laughs> on a day to day basis? <laughs> well, and I tell people one of the reasons we want to get the majority in November is so I can quit mowing his lawn <laughs> um, because. Uh, Seriously? I do in a 50-50 Senate. We spend a lot, and thank God for him. Yeah. I mean, he and and Cinema have stepped up and and prevented some really bad things from happening to the country. And preserving and protecting the institution, of the Senate is job number one. And and they they came through in a big way for that. But um, it's a lot of pressure on them, obviously. Yeah. And uh, so we do what we can to um, to to work with them constructively, hopefully in, in a way that advances. I, what we think are the right policies in the right direction for the country as opposed to the, the far left, which is what their leadership in the Congress and in the administration has right now. Which is all what they've all become, right? I mean, yeah. which is so amazing. Ten yeah. years ago, 
there actually used to be some discrepancy in the Democratic Party about what it is that you're trying to get done, right? Yeah. Now it's like AOC and Joe Manchin. Yeah, it is. It's it's become a party of extremes, and unfortunately, to the degree that there are any moderates, you can really count them on two fingers. Right. In the, in the in really the House and the Senate for that, there's a few in the House, but if you think about them having unified control of the government, the House, the Senate, and the White House, they run all of government, which is pushed because the progressive wing is where the energy, the activism, the money in their politics is today. It's pushed Biden way left. It's pushed their leadership. And now they're, you know, the AOC wing, uh, the Bernie Sanders wing in the Senate runs the Democrat Party. And that's scary and dangerous for the country. It really is their agenda, which if they ever needed any sort of justification for that point of view, I mean, you consider the fact that Joe Biden spent 40 years hanging around the United States Senate, and then all of a sudden he becomes president, and whatever it is that he worked on up to that point is irrelevant. He's now literally indistinguishable from Bernie Sanders' agenda. Yeah, it, totally. And and um, and that that's, I think, it's been hard for some of us who would have watched him in the Senate. And he did try to run as a moderate. Now, most of us who knew him in the Senate knew he was a liberal, <laughs> yeah, but right. and, and was never right on It was amazing that he had that path yeah, to begin it's, with. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's amazing that that lane was open to him, <laughs> of all people. <laughs> right. But there was an expectation, I think, among the American people that he might be a moderate, and they found out otherwise. And so I think getting the House and the Senate back, perhaps, perhaps, um, forces him to become the moderate that he promised the American people he would be in the first place. Yeah, well, let's hope. Uh, before I get to our three questions, I got to ask, do you have any more workout buddies? Uh, you're, when I was in the Senate, uh, every time I'd walk to work, I'd see this gazelle running around the Capitol <laughs> at like mock t- setting land speed records. Uh, I imagine you keep that up. You look like you're, you're still dealing with that. Well, I've um, I'm I don't run as far as fast or as often. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, there's something about every every decade you threshold you cross, uh, things uh, things start breaking down. You know, with, uh, <laughs> tell that to Grassley. Everything though, hurts, right? and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Yeah, Chuck's kind of a freak of nature, really. He really the is the fact that he can get up and and still roll in the morning early like that. But um, yeah, you try and stay motivated just to keep some level of you know fitness and and uh i i don't know i find myself i think more clearly if i can get you know get something done in the morning i'm kind of getting the blood flowing and just knock off 10 15 miles before breakfast and see how that goes yeah maybe not quite (laughs) 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 you'd be calling they they uh they'd be uh they'd be sending you know the they'd be call 9-11 to come and get me if they had to do <laughs> get that the battles so send out? Me to take me to the emergency ward yeah <laughs> that's great well listen we have three very big questions that we ask every guest and these are these are important things yes particularly for a guy from south dakota because i imagine you have well-defined answers at least on this first one which is if you could plan your last meal on earth mm-hmm. what would it be um this is, and for those of you who aren't from the Midwest, this may not mean a lot to you, but uh, a six-pack and a pound is <laughs> is something you buy at Taco John's, and it's not a six-pack of what you might think. It's a six-pack of uh, soft-shell tacos and a pound of uh, potato olays. <laughs> And then, and then I, and then I would cap that off probably with a blizzard uh, from DQ, uh, maybe chocolate chip cookie dough or something like that. There you go. I mean, go. If, if you're going out, why not go out in style, right? Yeah, I, I mean, a it's of, a, very, a lot of grease, a lot of sugar, but but yet a yet a wholesome uh, Midwestern dining experience. Yeah, for I sure. Love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, so I'm interested in this one because I've never asked you anywhere near a question like this. But if you never got into public service at all, right? If if your entire career was blank and you had a blue sky choice of something to do with your life and it can be literally anything to fill that time with what do you think you'd do 
Good question. Um, when I was in middle school, I had an aspiration to play in the NBA. Yeah, you were a pretty good uh, ball player, well, from what I understand. Yeah, but not that good. Certainly and better so, than Ted Cruz. You said he was going to be an NBA player. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'll 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 take that game. But uh, but you know, I I think I, I love the game and I stay involved with. It. I'm a fan. Um, I'd love to be a commentator. Uh, oh yeah. Now the downside is, as you maybe recall, in the Seinfeld episode where uh, George doesn't have a job and he he's thinking about what to do, and he says maybe I could be a sports commentator. And Jerry says, well, you know, normally they they hire people for those jobs who actually played sports. <laughs> and uh, he says, yeah, but I make good observations. And uh, and uh, and I and I and so I say I make good observations. Just ask my wife. I, I predict <laughs> things that are going to happen. I think I could do this and do it well. And I think it'd be fun doing it. And but, she'd you know. love to find another profession where you could talk more than you yeah. as a senator, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's real popular uh, on the home front. I could filibuster. That's, uh, <laughs> I love uh-huh. it. No, that's a good answer. It's, it's similar to mine, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be great, you know, doing a, mm-hmm. like a, a baseball season where you just go through travel towns and, yeah. you know, it just sounds fun. That, that sounds fun. Or, or even these guys that do like the... Um, you know, NFL football show on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and just get a chance to talk about. And then they're going to visit the teams and going, I mean, I could go to Lambeau and totally talk with, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and see if he really designed his, his rollout this year to look like Nick Cage. I was going to say, did you uh, see his uh, hair? I can't believe you're proud of that. <laughs> well, there's a lot of off field drama there, I, I will say. And that's, uh, I'm not. That's You're not a, in whole hog uh, on that deal. Nah, no, I, I, I like him on the field, but. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh-huh. keep his locks under the helmet as yeah, far as you're concerned. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, so the third question is where we get a little esoteric. Mm-hmm. We, it, this is, you know, this is examining the mind of John Thune, right? Deep thoughts. So, yeah, so as we see it, people, successful people are generally motivated by one of two things. And we shorthanded as saying the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that doesn't mean anybody doesn't like to win or likes to lose. What it means is the the thrill of victory people are sort of the sunny optimists are always charging up the hill for the next endeavor. The agony of defeat crowd is every accomplishment they've ever had in life, it lasts like two seconds, mm-hmm. right? But any setback they've ever had is what motivates them and they think about constantly, right? So yeah. their greatest success basically pales in comparison to what they think is their most humiliating defeat in terms of what motivates them on a day-to-day basis. Where do you find yourself? Well, you know, my, um, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hopeful optimist and that's kind of my political philosophy. I think, you know, the, the two great motivators in politics are hope and fear. Mm. And I think you ought to, we ought to be about appealing to people's hopes, not preying on their fears. But, you know, being Scandinavian, you know, my, my grandfather came here from Norway back in 1906 and my dad, and so I'd, being Scandinavian, you kind of believe life is supposed to be hard, right? <laughs> this is, and you're, it's, it's you're, kind of, it's you're very, singing my hymnal. That's very fatalistic and all that. But um, my dad was, my dad my, would say, everybody would say he's a pessimist. He'd say, no, I'm a realist. My mom, on the other hand, was kind of this optimist. And I tend to have more of her qualities. But I think in... As you think about the things in life and you do and the, some of the wins and the losses, victories and defeats, uh, you learn a lot from the defeats, but it's a lot more fun to win. And, um, and that to me, you know, you're always motivated, at least I hope, to do things that are purpose-driven and that make a difference and, and, uh, and that, 
that make you better, that you get better at. And sometimes, in you know, and coming this from drawing from a competitive sports background, um, you know, you learn from your losses, and hopefully, it makes you a better player for the next game. But believe me, I'd much rather win. Yeah, a serious thrill of victory, guy. A serious is what thrill. I'm taking yeah, out yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. And and when you get the thrill of victory, you're right; it doesn't last long because you're always <laughs> thinking about. But somebody reminded me the other day um, that in all your in your uh, endeavors and everything like that that you tend to focus on and remember more clearly the um the losses than you do the the victories and so it does um, from for scandinavians from the midwest that's right yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly you <laughs> not for it. everybody you got it, yeah not no, for no, everybody. no 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 it's a uh, it's something that's our clan's very proud of. You know, so. <laughs> I love it. All right. So in addition to all of this, I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't note that you yourself are up for re-election this fall. Right. Uh, where can listeners go and see what you're up to and help you out? Well, I mean, we're obviously website, um, just uh, www, whatever it is, johnthune.com. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I mean, if uh, if people are interested in the campaign, that's we can get a lot of information out there. We're we've got a you know I had a primary um, earlier. Now I have a general election. Yeah, I think and, you, you uh, posted a mere eighty percent of the vote. Yeah, it's real, it, was, it wasn't quite that good. But as being Scandinavian, I focused on the thirty percent that didn't vote for me. So <laughs> it's back to your earlier question. Yeah, but uh, you know, and in general, you know, everybody says, well, it's a easy easy race. But I remind people that up until when when uh, in the two thousand four race against Tom Daschle, we were 0-6 in the Dakotas. Yeah. We didn't have a single Republican from either North or South Dakota in Congress. That was an incredible to even imagine it was that close, right? Yeah. Just in the, in the in spectrum of your career, yeah, I mean, you went from far. Conrad and Dorgan and Tim Johnson and Daschle to now. Pomeroy. I mean, you know, now we're 6-0, now we're and, yeah. and, uh, and but you can't take that for granted. And so even though, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're doing all the things you need to do and you've got to raise money and be prepared yeah well it takes some leadership to get that done those things don't happen organically you've got to actually make them happen which you've done for yourself and for your colleagues uh you also do an awful lot to try to help senate republicans get elected across this country which we thank you for immensely it's a team sport it is yeah. it is and yeah. the more people that recognize that the better uh thank you for everything you're doing thank you for coming in here today and uh let us know how these pieces of legislation and everything is progressing. Will do. Thanks, Josh, and thanks for having me on the program. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> All right. See ya. Man, what a great guy. So I mean, good. You, you got to love the Midwest. Oh, he's so, I mean, he's just through and through. What I like about him, though, is how serious he is about the stuff that actually matters. You know, you get so much posturing and stuff on Capitol Hill about people who, like, want to align themselves with the hot topic. Here's this guy digging in on an existential threat to the Republican Party in tech companies basically preventing the inboxing of Republican solicitations mm -hmm. for contributions. And he's like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. Like, we are going to stand up and, and hold these people accountable. What a big deal. Right. Like, that's a serious, that's a difference-making deal. Right, and I can I can speak from experience. It is very, very, very real. He's not joking. And that's the thing is, like, at a time when the Dems can basically bully Hulu into running their ads. Yeah, right. And we can't even get emails out. Totally right. Anyway, thanks to John Thune. He's doing great work. Well, speaking of great work, outstanding work, gentlemen. Absolute banger of an episode. Thank you so much to our listeners. We couldn't do it without you, Minions. So... Until next time, minions, keep the faith, 
hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.